Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're exploring the theme of agency in The Hunger Games and The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. To start off with, we have a quote from Mockingjay. When Plutarch is presenting Katniss with the sketchbook that Cinna made of Mockingjay outfits for Katniss. He made me promise not to show you this book until you decided to be the Mockingjay on your own. Believe me, I was very tempted. Plutarch would be very tempted. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a good example of the difference between Plutarch and Cinna. <laughs> <laughs> and how they see Katniss as the Mockingjay. Plutarch is very much just about how he can utilize Katniss and utilize this idea of the Mockingjay, whereas Cinna is supportive of her and her choice to become the Mockingjay. He still obviously has these rebellious intentions, but he is not going to do so in a way that objectifies her or turns her into a tool. Mm-hmm. Well, and before he died... He didn't ask her before he made that outfit that would transform, right? Mm -hmm. But he knew that he would be taking the brunt of that, as well as she was either going to die in the arena or she was going to escape and would be able to make that choice. Mm -hmm. But once he was no longer there to take the consequences of his rebellious actions... Yeah, he, he didn't want him hoping that she would take up this role. Um, he didn't want it to influence her. Yeah, he didn't want to pressure in her into doing something that is asking so much of her. Mm-hmm. I think that it shows how much Cinna cares about Katniss and, yeah, puts his money where his mouth is in a way where he, you know, if he is... Because he bets on her? <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> because, you know, he's rebellious. He's going against this totalitarian government. But to utilize the same kinds of tactics that are manipulative and exploitative would be hypocritical. And Sina doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Even if it would, yeah, help to get the ends that he might ultimately want. Yeah, he still sees her as a person. Yeah. Not just a means. Exactly. Which, you know, almost no one else in the series does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, shall we move into the rest of our discussion? Sure. What character did you bring? Well, I figured we should talk about Katniss Everdeen. <laughs> yes, she's a great character to talk about for this. She really is. Uh, I think Katniss, and this is one of the reasons this series is so great, because Katniss is just a really great example of a character who has narrative agency. And I think she's a good example, not just because she exerts narrative agency, but because the ways that she exerts narrative agency are really complex. Mm -hmm. um, And that they change in ways over the series. You know, the series really starts off very clearly with Katniss making the decision to enter the Hunger Games, her volunteering for her sister. This is her making a choice that propels the narrative forward. And I think it's a really good example of not only narrative agency, but agency within a society. Because nobody ever has complete agency in a society. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you are around other people, if there are laws, there are going to be things that limit your agency, your ability to choose what to do. 
you can't go out and murder someone, probably. <laughs> Unless you're really rich. <laughs> well, this is the thing. There are... Or maybe white or yeah. law enforcement. There are ways in which people have different levels of agency and different levels of the ability to make choices. And those choices often can be limited by their circumstances and by the systems that they're a part of. In our society, certainly limited by things like race and gender and ability and class. And so here Katniss has a very limited amount of choices. She mm -hmm. is able to choose to watch her sister go and participate in the games or choose to volunteer in her stead. And she chooses one of those choices. And it's a hard choice, but it's the choice that she makes that it seems, especially in District 12, is a very rare choice to make. So she's really propelling the narrative forward really from the get-go, which I appreciate. But for a long time after that, you know, her, her choices are so limited that she essentially is just doing what she can to survive and to try to make it so that those that she cares about also survive. And that is kind of her propelling force. She's not really taking stabs at the games or at the capital. She is just trying to make it out. The main time she took a stab at the Capitol was in her private training session. Totally. When she shot the apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's a great, great example of how she's also just kind of naturally rebellious <laughs> in really great ways. But yeah, her doing the berries wasn't meant as an act of protest, really. It was meant mm -hmm. because she had an enemy who was trying to make it so that she or someone she cared about would have to die. And she didn't want that to happen, and this was a gambit that she used. But things do kind of start to, to change, and, and I think that for so long she's just so swept up in a powerful system, in a system where it is so limiting of her choices and does ask so much of her, or require so much of her. First by, yeah, her towing the line of the narrative that the Capitol's trying to put forward of her being a star-crossed lover and, and things like that, um, but also her feeling like she has to meet these expectations as a rebel and what she means as a symbol. And I think that that moment that she does choose to become the Mockingjay is such an important moment because it's one of the first times that she is taking charge again, where she is making a choice, and it's not just a choice that is exactly how it's offered to her but she's able to start kind of adding her own demands of what she wants if she's going to be the Mockingjay, what form that's going to take, what other protection she's going to have, which I think is, is really great. And is a really good through line to, I think, her final important choice of the series, to assassinate Coin, Because I think that that is really interesting to see in relation to that first choice, which, as I was talking about, was made when she had a limited number of choices. She had the option of not doing anything, or she had the option of volunteering, and she chose to volunteer. Here, with the assassination of Coin, that was never a choice offered to her. <laughs> she was meant to be assassinating Snow. She's meant to be executing Snow. And that was one of her demands, even. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. The reason she's there in the first place is mm -hmm. one of her demands. This is a really great point. But she chooses to use that opportunity to, yeah, to kill President Coin, and... I think that's really, really interesting to think about it as, yeah, this is not just something that, you know, it's one of the options she gets to choose from. This is her making her own option in the circumstances she's in, going against everything that is expected of her or put upon her. Mm. And for the series to end on 
that choice as kind of the last monumental choice for their society, I think is just really powerful and a really kind of important way of, of illustrating how agency is a crucial theme for the series and for Katniss's growth in it. Yeah, totally. I agree. And I really appreciate that it's not like she decides to be the Mockingjay and now everything she does is completely her driving everything forward. You know, she does make choices, but I think throughout the entire series is still so often within the confines of the world and the restrictions that are put on her. So yeah, she's breaking out of the expected but also she doesn't have everything to choose from mm -hmm. she has a few options and has to decide what is best for her and the people that she loves and you know in the end for everyone mm -hmm. i also like that it makes sense that it's kind of this slow exercise of agency that like grows and grows and grows as she experiences it because up until that point she didn't do that very much besides something like going out and hunting which mm -hmm. is sure breaking the rules um but not at a time when that's punished in the same way it was previously so yeah 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 she is this really complicated relationship between her narrative agency which is, you know, this idea of does the character's actions and choices actually propel the narrative or are they just being moved along the narrative by the choices and actions of others? Mm -hmm. um, but also an idea of personal agency, of a, being a person who has agency over the choices and the actions that exist in their life as, as a person. Like, you know, the hunting that you mentioned, that's an example of, yeah, of personal agency. She's going out and she's breaking rules and she's making choices that are going to help her family and things like that but it doesn't really bring narrative agency because it's not propelling the narrative forward mm -hmm. it's the choice to enter the narr enter the hunger games that really propels that narrative and so mm -hmm. yeah she and both of those are are limited at times because of the, the situation she's in and, and i think that while a good story should have the protagonist have narrative agency that agency should also be limited because their personal agency is limited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When characters are just like outside the confines of a social reality, sometimes it can be like really hard for me to not to be like, oh, I roll. And also when, especially for female characters, mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, they don't really do anything that makes an impact in like where the story goes. That also is I roll. So. Yeah. Totally. That is eye roll. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, what plot did you want to talk about today? So I wanted to talk about the 75th games mm -hmm. because I think it is the time that we see and probably can imagine that tributes exercise the most agency they ever have in any games. And, and I think that probably there was maybe a little bit more agency earlier on in in the tradition of these games mm -hmm. so for example in songbirds and snakes when we see reaper taking the flag down ripping it apart and, and covering the different bodies like that was definitely exercising agency yeah um in a way that would be way more limited by the later games oh absolutely and so i, I imagine before 
sponsors were a big thing before uh, their home districts got grain and resources as, as a reward for them winning. You probably would have seen a little bit more like rebelliousness and, and stuff, but for at least 65 years, that probably was not the case. And it starts even before the game start, which is with the interviews for the quarter quell. And even though the victors that are criticizing the capital and trying to incite riots, which they do mm-hmm. because they're successful at what they're doing, they're still tiptoeing around things. You know, they're still being subtle in the way they're manipulating, but they are still manipulating nonetheless in ways that they never would have done otherwise, the, way the ways that they never did for their own games that they won. Mm-hmm. It just shows like they are not playing the games. They are trying to do something bigger. They know this is being broadcast to the districts. They know that if they can create an emotional response from the viewers in the capital, that shows that they have power, you know? And so they all do that in different ways, at least the people who are on the side of this resistance plan, then you know, at the, the end of the interviews, they're, they're holding hands in this act of solidarity and just such a significant symbol that goes out to the districts as well, that these games that have attempted and helped succeed in further distancing and creating animosity between districts, they are, you know, breaking that down. <laughs> to the point where they literally stop the broadcast and turn out all the lights. They're like, oh no, this isn't good. Can't have this. They've, I mean, and they've never had to deal with that before, you know, the capital people in charge. And then once they're in the games, about half of the victors were not trying to win, which again is not playing the game. Because, yes, I think you have individual choices within the game structure that you you make. Even, like, Katniss putting flowers around Rue mm. and singing to her. Like, that was an act of agency and that was rebellious in a certain way, but that's not why she was doing it. And it was still within the structure of the games. But with so many of the victors not playing the games, that is really undermining what it's all about because all they're trying to do is protect Katniss and PETA adjacently Mm -hmm. uh, long enough so that they can be broken out and you know if they could survive too that's awesome but that wasn't even their goal and the whole point of the entertainment aspect of the games is that people are trying to win and that you see what people do when they're put into these circumstances and they just they weren't doing that and yeah that wouldn't have ever been the case prior to the 75th games yeah yeah i think that that the interviews that you mentioned are a good illustration of how power can increase your agency how you're and and that power can be abstract in some ways where now as victors these tributes have greater social capital than they had the first time they were tributes Mm -hmm. and they can exert that in a certain way and they have a platform exactly 
it doesn't give them enough power to not be in the Hunger Games mm-hmm. again, but it does give them more power to, in that position, try to, yeah, meet other ends and other kind, kinds of goals uh, than are put before them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Well, should we move into our compelling questions? Sounds like a good idea. What do you have for me? An idea that I think can be interestingly linked to agency, which is the idea of liberty and the freedom (laughs) to do as you wish. Um, And so how you see this idea of liberty being represented or a reading of the Hunger Games through that lens. Ugh, that's a gross lens. I mean, (laughs) it's not necessarily, but like being so saturated in American gross ideas of liberty and freedom which somehow means capitalism, (laughs) Um, it (laughs) definitely recoil at the word. Not that I think it is a bad thing necessarily in and of itself, but then it goes back to agreeing with Snow's assessment of the human condition, but not the means of, like, not how to deal with that condition. Because I'm like, you cannot just have liberty. You can't just have the libertarian dream or whatever, because people are too vile to not have some amount of structure. Even with structures, they're real vile. (laughs) So, yes. I think, um... Sometimes it doesn't matter if you have the structure and the rules because the structure and the rules can be evil in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Pan Am's. <laughs> yes. The Covey would be a very interesting look mm. because they undermine it all, you know? They are not a part of a district and the world as it's structured doesn't understand that and doesn't like that and the powers won't allow for it yet they find a way to still be themselves and assert themselves and spread their messages through their music and be gracious and generous by doing their concerts on donation basis mm-hmm. and and things like that, even though the whole world around them does not operate that way. Not that to say that, like, oh, they just do all of this and everything's fine for them. It's not. It's difficult. And they've been through trauma and they have so many fewer options and things like that. But, yeah, they kind of operate in a way that's outside. So in a way, I think... They have liberation by embodying that liberation, by living that way, Mm. not necessarily because anybody gives it to them. And living that way despite a society that does try to take those liberties away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I kind of wonder if like Mockingjays could be seen that way in a sense Mm. too. Because jabber jays are so controlled to the point where it's like, are they even, they're not an animal, but like, I, I, I don't know. They're, they're, they're so. almost more robotic seeming. Yeah, yeah. But then from that, this kind of very free, defiant bird <laughs> comes <laughs> and, and thrives even 
when they try to not allow for it and such. Yeah. But uh, what were you thinking? Yeah, those are really, really interesting points. I wasn't thinking about any of that, but that's really compelling. <laughs> I assume not. I'm like, I'm sure you have other things to talk about, so let's <laughs> let you go there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's interesting because there probably is a reading of Hunger Games that is like anti-socialist, like hyper-capitalist, where mm-hmm. it's like, look, the capital is nationalizing all of their industries. They are forcing people that they're, they're limiting the choice of people of what industry they can be a part of and so this is the way that nationalization goes that <laughs> government control of things must lead to taking away people's individual choice of what they want to do for work and their ability to thrive in the industry they choose and that make it, their way up those ladders exactly <laughs> and it and it just leads to oligarchy and enslavement and you know this kind of idea which is obviously nonsense um (laughs) but i do think that that's something that could be read but i also think that district 13 helps to challenge that Mm -hmm. because though it is sparked by a drastic limitation on resources district 13 shows how a communal idea and strict control of resources can be used for the public good can be used in a way that doesn't create huge economic inequalities, doesn't lead to an oligarchy, doesn't lead to economic exploitation of workers the same way. And hopefully the ideals that allow for that to happen could be transferred even to a society that does not have the same limitation on resources that kind of makes it a requirement for them to act that way. Mm -hmm. Particularly when you consider that Every society has a limitation on resources, whether they think they do or not, or I should say whether we think we do <laughs> or not. And, and and kind of ultimately, that is why this idea of liberty as agency, I think, doesn't, doesn't actually connect. It's something that maybe idealistically can connect, but when you look at realities, there is always a limitation on resources. And because there's a limitation on resources, there's no such thing as equal access to resources Mm -hmm. some people will always have greater access than others there will always be hierarchies of power and access and thus because there's inequality in that power there will be an inequality in access and thus an agency so liberty doesn't really exist it can't really exist in a way that is fair and equal liberty essentially means that you know if you if, if you define liberty as the freedom to do as you will it is the freedom for those with more power to exploit those with less power. And I think the Hunger Games can, yeah, can show some examples of, of how that is, uh, that, that can be seen in dystopic futures. Yeah, yeah. We definitely wouldn't get to the dystopic future through capitalism. <laughs> Us? No, that no. doesn't sound like something that would happen. <laughs> well, what is your compelling question for me? So I was thinking about the instance in Mockingjay when Hamish is asking the room for examples of times that Katniss genuinely moved them. And I think the moments that they mentioned were pretty much all times that she exercised her agency. Mm-hmm. And so especially in a society where agency is so restricted in the districts, my question for you is what are 
examples of times where you saw a character or a group of characters exercise their agency that genuinely moved you. In The Hunger Games? Yes. The first one that comes to mind really is in District 11, when they're there for the victory tour Mm -hmm. and the district essentially shows that they are upset they they are rebellious but it's not directed at Katniss and Peeta who are there as part of a victory tour where they are victorious over the tributes from District 11. The victory tour I think is the intention behind it for the capital is to further separate the districts from one another Mm -hmm. to further twist the knife of look who's alive who won the games that your people lost and I love that moment because I think it shows, similar to what you're talking about in regards to the moment with Rue, so often agency can be situated as the intention behind actions. You are doing something that you choose to do for your own reasons, and especially in a society that is limited, just that choice and your own personal reasons behind the choice that you're making is an act of agency. And so their choice to, yeah, make a stand that that wasn't meant to, you know, it's not going to get them access to more resources. It's not overthrowing a military installation or anything like that, but it is taking a stand, making something symbolic, and doing so in a way that is not cohering to the situation as the Capitol's trying to present it, where it's District 11 versus District 12, but instead doing it in a way that is really highlighting the injustice of the system as it's created by the capital. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, that goes into the similar ideas of genuineness and, and sincerity and how that is tied to something that is affecting and, and engaging. I think another thing that comes to mind is when the community kind of comes together to help Gale after he's whipped. Mm. Not only because we see so many people doing so many actions in regards to it, but also because it's clear that many of them are people who have done this before. That this is part of a culture that is, in at least small ways, rebellious, that takes care of its own, that responds to the violence that are put up against those who, in small or big ways, resist the capital and resist the peacekeepers. So that scene, I think, not only touches me because we see people coming together, but it also helps to really build a... District 12 that has a history of this resistance being a part of it. And that resistance doesn't have to be an on or off switch, but there are these continuities that connect these things together, um, even over long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What were you thinking? I was thinking about when Peta painted Rue mm-hmm. with the flowers in his private training session. Yeah. And <laughs> then Katniss hung one of the dummies and wrote Seneca Crane on it. Made an effigy. <laughs> I I remember when I first read that. I think I put my hand over my mouth and just started laughing. It <laughs> is the only time that's ever happened to me in a book. It's just would. like Katniss is just so defiant and so It's so cute because like, like it's Peta taking a page from Katniss's book of, yeah. you know, Last time, she did this really amazing, 
rebellious thing. I'm going to do something too, but I want to make it a really pretty picture <laughs> with these flowers. And then Katniss comes in and hangs a body bag. <laughs> this is the difference. His subtlety <laughs> and her brazen rage. Great. Yes. <laughs> but how both of them, well, he was trying to hold them accountable mm-hmm. for what they did to this little kid. And she was trying to be like, you think you're above this? You're a part of this too, mm-hmm. you know? you. This could happen to you. I'm not the only one vulnerable here. You know, you are too. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it's just so great. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it's, yeah, it's like very much almost like calling them out because in a way she got Seneca Crane killed. Her mm. actions led to his death. And so for her to be like, look, he died last time when he messed with me. Like, I don't think that's necessarily her intention. But, but there's maybe a, also. Yeah, a there's little. a little bit of that there. You think you're safe? You put me back in the game. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we aren't safe and I'm reminding you of that. Yeah. Good luck, game makers. Um, another thing that I think is really powerful is Pollux being a part of the resistance Mm. since he had already we don't know exactly what he had done but something that got him to have his tongue mutilated and be turned into an Avox and then he still is a part of the resistance and when it comes down to the tunnels returning to his one of his places of of trauma and abuse and the the wherewithal and the strength that it would take to to do any of those things yeah is is really significant absolutely obviously everything sajamas does (laughs) yep also i think marcus refusing to take any of the food and yeah that's a great one refusing to talk to Sejanus, refusing to participate in interviews or any of it is just yeah I mean you have to have be so principled for when you're starving and there's food right in front of you and you know it would give you a better chance of leaving the arena alive yeah and I think it's it's not only that it shows so much principle but it kind of shows like we were talking about before when you have so few choices and the structures that are in place just don't allow you to do almost anything still exercising that agency in any way you can even a way that is harmful to yourself Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. but like he would rather that that he's starving himself he's letting himself die then not have agency to make a choice yeah absolutely marcus marcus we know why sajanus liked you (laughs) well should we move into our missed opportunities yeah what do you have for me i want to talk about something that for me was an issue in my first reading and that was essentially the last half of mockingjay the mission to assassinate snow in the capital Mm mm-hmm for me, I, I really didn't like it, uh, my first reading. It, it, and I think a lot of that was because after this huge chapters-long awful thing where characters died and all these other kinds of things happened, 
Katniss just saw Prim die and then became unconscious herself. And mm-hmm. I felt like there wasn't narrative agency there. Like Katniss was not propelling what was going on in the war forward. I think since I've reread it and, and certainly since we've started having these kinds of conversations and I've tried to analyze it a little bit more intensely, you know, I've seen how there is agency for Katniss because she is trying tar- hard to do something. She has a goal, a goal that she set before herself that is not that one that, that you know, people are trying to get her to do, but one that she wants to do for herself. And she is coming up against these insurmountable barriers that ultimately are insurmountable, that she is unable to get over them all. And that's what happens sometimes, Mm -hmm. that not everyone can always do what they're going after. Sometimes things go wrong Mm -hmm. and they don't work out. That's kind of what happens here is that, you know, in a series that is so much about the ways that people try to make decisions outside of the bounds that they're they're trying to be put upon, most of Katniss's decisions do work out, but not all of them do. And this is a big example of one that doesn't. Yeah, I just, I think that that's interesting and compelling it's still not my favorite thing to read but (laughs) it is uh you know something that i I feel better about i think that maybe the book could have been improved at least for me on my first reading if it had kind of a more explicit engagement with that if that's what it was trying to do rather than just kind of leave it to a reader to to find that which you know maybe some people think that's good writing that's not holding your hand but for me at least i needed my hand held a little bit more in that in that area yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I think it's good, too, to see the heroes of the story not always use their agency for the most noble ends. I mean, it would be great if they did, but humans in situations like this would not always do that. Yeah. And also, I appreciate that she is burned and knocked unconscious because it's not just she is so skilled, she can just backflip out of that, you know, <laughs> like what would happen in like if it was a superhero movie or something. Totally, yeah. Like, no, things get messy in warfare. Yeah, just you don't have all the agency when there are bombs, when there are things like that. There's totally. so much you can do. Yeah. Yeah, what's your missed opportunity? So mine is about consequences because we see Avoxes present in Songbirds and Snakes. They were already servants at that point, and so we know that they have been around, and, and maybe it was a common practice even before the Hunger Games were a thing, before the war happened. I'm, I'm not sure, but it wouldn't be surprising. Yeah. And so I guess I'm just kind of wondering what acts of dissent or resistance resulted in execution versus becoming an AVOX versus whipping. Why was Gail whipped and not turned into an AVOX? Mm. So I'm wondering about the consequences and the sentencing that is given out and how that corresponds to different actions. Because I imagine a lot of it is things that are rebellious in some sort of way and not following the rules. But yeah, what differentiates them uh, is something that I would have liked to see a little bit more about so that I could understand better. The only two people that we know part of what they did to be turned into an AVOX is the girl who Katniss had seen running away from a different district 
and then Darius is turned into one because he tried to stop Gale getting whipped. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I'd like to know more about that. Yeah, that makes sense. There's the, the facade of a justice system in Panem, <laughs> but we don't see any real depth or vision of how it is operated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what is your takeaway from the conversation? I'm I'm really just thinking about that, that moment with Rue and seeing how that became such a activating moment for so many people in the districts because it was a moment of Katniss doing something entirely divorced from the games as they're set up by the Capitol. Something entirely about what she believes, what she feels, what she wants, and what she wants for Rue. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a book that I, I think I mentioned in a previous agency episode called The Price for Their Pound of Flesh uh, by Diana Ramey Berry, mm. um, which is about enslaved Africans in the United States in the South and how they would be valued, essentially, by the people who bought and sold them and enslaved them um, and how that changed over their lives and with their gender and, and, these, and the kind of values that were placed upon them, but also very importantly, the values they placed upon their own lives, what the Diana Remy Berry calls their soul values, and the values that were often taken part in, what kind of wisdom they accumulated over their time, what relationships they built, the their burial practices, things like that, that where they're exerting and not necessarily doing it consciously as a way of resisting their enslavement, because they have such limited agency, they have so few choices. But doing these small things that continue to exert their humanity and their intentionality is a way of really highlighting their agency. And I just love Barry's framework for looking at that time period in that way. And I think that Katniss and her memorial to Rue is a example of that same kind of value where, sure, they are, they are valued as tributes in certain ways by the capital, but her relationship with Rue has a value outside of that that is based off of how she feels and what she wants and their relationship between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that's so nice. Yeah. And what Rue meant to her family and her friends and her district. Exactly. Yeah, it's really powerful. Mm. And what about you? What's your takeaway? I I think it's really interesting how you were talking about, like, yes, she makes the initial decision and how different of a tone the books would have had if she hadn't volunteered. Yeah. Right? She was just chosen. And I like that she has that. And Peta doesn't. Yeah. Peta's name was just pulled out of the bowl. So I think it does really set the tone for Katniss's character, but also for the narrative and how it operates. And for one of her final acts to be to kill coin it also it it ends with a lot of that both of them are her completely stepping outside of what every other person in the country would expect of her yeah it wasn't okay the trajectory of this story is in the end for it to have a satisfying end with her killing snow who has put her through all of this who has done this to Peta, who has contributed to killing all of these people you know who has tormented her and terrorized her with his creepy flowers you know it's not 
in the end, it wasn't a revenge story. We don't even exactly know how he died. Mm -hmm. They they don't even exactly know. And it was her choosing to do something that she felt was right, which is how it started. I think it's just so contrasting to Songbirds and Snakes because you have Snow have all of these different choices. He has so much agency just handed to him, yet he denies it all the time saying i had no choice there was nothing i could do where she has so little agency given to her societally yet she keeps taking it even if not always doing something quote-unquote good with it doing something that is thinking of others yeah yeah and and i think that of all the protagonists of the book series that we and, and and the shows and things like that that we talk about on this show I think the only other protagonist that comes close to Katniss, yeah, choosing to be a part of this narrative is Frodo. Mm-hmm. But everyone else oh, is Frodo. much closer to the, the chosen one type of paradigm mm-hmm. where this is just something they're born into. But also they're given powers, whereas mm-hmm. she and Frodo, you know, when neither he... of them were advantaged exactly. by being them. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Mm. Yeah. Should we go back to Lord of the Rings? I mean, now that you talk about Frodo. (laughs) (laughs) Love Frodo. It's getting cold again, so we'll we'll probably do a rewatch soon. Of course. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I love Katniss. And yeah, I think those moments when they choose this path that is so dangerous and destroys certain parts of them. Yeah. It's so meaningful. And I mean, I'm reminded again of the protesters in Southeast Asia using the... Mm -hmm. The Hunger Games salute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As a symbol of protest. And I think that so much of that is tied to these kinds of trends where they are exerting an agency by going out and protesting. That is, yeah, so clearly tied up in so much of this narrative. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, okay. I think that's going to do it for this episode. What will we be talking about next week? So we are going to be returning to Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra, and we are going to be looking at the series through the theme of loss. Okay, loss in Avatar. Luckily, it's Avatar, so you know it's not going to be that sad. No. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description, or you can join us at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.